This podcast is brought to you by the Accredited Snow Contractors Association. With industry standards-based certification, a discounted insurance program, networking events, and legislative efforts that strengthen the professional snow and ice management industry, your ASCA membership never stops working for you. Join today at ASCAonline.org. Hi, this is Mike Zawacki, editor of Snow Magazine. The ability to provide others with constructive feedback has become a lost art in today's businesses. Unfortunately, what passes as feedback from managers to subordinates is more destructive confrontation than productive conversation. As a result, our operations become mired in poor performing procedures and inefficiencies, which lead to excessive costs and a burden to the bottom line. My guest on today's podcast is David Chinsky, who has a seven-step process that alleviates this problem. And whether you're a business owner, a department manager, or a frontline supervisor or foreman, if you follow them, you'll begin to more confidently and effectively engage those you manage. Most importantly, when the need arises, you'll be able to communicate constructive advice that addresses problems and improves performance. A little background on David. Prior to founding the Institute for Leadership Fitness, he spent two decades in executive leadership positions at Ford, Nestle, and Thomson Reuters. Today, he's focused his time as a consultant, executive coach, and mentor towards improving professional effectiveness. He's also the author of The Fit Leader's Companion, a down-to-earth guide for sustainable leadership success. I hope you enjoy my conversation with David Chinsky. Well, hey, thank you very much and welcome to the program. Um, yeah, my pleasure. You are touching on a topic, I think, a lot of people who are, you know, not only in management, but even out in the field, if you're a supervisor or a foreman, um, definitely run into uh, problems with. And, and I think nowadays, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you feel differently, but I think we've lost how to uh, impart constructive criticism on one another, whether it's a peer or a subordinate or maybe even a superior, um, you know, it's, how are we expected to work together if we can't communicate? And uh, I know this is a, something you've looked at very closely and uh, kind of wanted to kind of kick off the conversation with, with that thought. You know, why, how, how did we get to this point? Well, it's, it's really unfortunate that, that we are at, at that point, as you say, where, where people often withhold useful, important feedback with whomever, uh, whether it's a peer, whether it's a direct report, whether it's a boss. The one thing that we know for sure is that if we don't have the conversation, nothing is going to change. And we'll still become more resentful. We'll still wonder why are they still doing that. And the reason they're still doing that is because we haven't had a conversation with that individual. And importantly, we haven't made it clear what the impact of the problem is. So we probably tolerate way too much, whether it's someone who's not meeting our expectations, if it's a direct report, or if it's a peer and we don't necessarily appreciate 
the way they conduct business, maybe the way they speak to us, their lack of follow-through when, when we're depending on them to, to get something to us, and even our boss. And, of course, it takes a lot more courage to have a constructive feedback with a boss, and yet, again, if the boss never hears what he or she is doing and what impact it's having, there's no chance at all that anything is ever going to change. And so whatever might have gotten us to this situation, I think it's a combination of fear. You know, I don't, I don't want to rock the boat. I don't want to risk damaging the relationship. All of those reasons get us stuck in the same environment that we're trying to get out of. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of this communication that uh, that we're discussing, uh, the, the being able to impart constructive criticism, is also kind of at the root. Um, and correct me again if you're if I'm wrong, but at the root of what you talk about in your new book, uh, that it's at the core of, of of being a sustainable leader. Correct? Absolutely. I, I mean, part of leadership is shaping shaping the future. And one of the best ways of doing that is, is shaping relationships and being honest. And to me, feedback is a gift that anchors our relationships in that honesty. People depend on feedback if they're going to understand what they're doing well. Those are the things we want them to continue doing. And also so they can identify areas for growth and development. It's our job as, as leaders to have those conversations, and I'm really putting the emphasis on conversation and not confrontation, because one of the reasons we avoid giving feedback is the the sense that it's going to be a confrontation, and and confrontations do create some, some negative outcomes. I'm really looking at a process whereby the person receiving the feedback is really feeling like we're just having a conversation with them because we want to neutralize, if not eliminate, that defensiveness that usually accompanies a feedback conversation. In fact, that's why we usually don't go there, because we're afraid that someone's going to get defensive, that they're not going to like us. So it's really important as we think about how to give feedback that we think about feedback as a gift and as a conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of the times it seems like when we discuss something like constructive feedback and uh, we often equate that with like an annual review but i would guess that in reality we're or we should be uh giving each other feedback constantly on a a day-to-day basis regardless of where you are in the corporate hierarchy you know um you know uh, part of communicating as you said is being able to impart that information that can allow you to do your job and uh, and a lot of that has to do with well you can do this to improve or you can do this to be more sustainable or you're doing this correctly or incorrectly um can you yeah. kind of outline some of the basics for i mean this is uh, you're right i think we are a little fearful to have these conversations uh, we're uh, we've become a little fearful of uh, hurting somebody's feelings um and how do you what what guidelines can you offer to begin to have those conversations obviously this isn't something that you can just um change overnight uh, I'm sure there's some steps that need to be taken to kind of learn the methodology to do this correctly 
Right. There are, there are some, some steps, and, I, and I'd be happy to walk through the steps in, in the seven-step constructive feedback process that I've developed and, and have been teaching for over a decade now. One, one point, though, that I'd really like to reinforce before I do that is, is your sense, which is absolutely correct, that feedback needs to be given in what I call the teachable moment. We, we have to look for those opportunities to both provide positive feedback and constructive feedback as close to the situation that occasions the need for giving that feedback. Because if we wait too long, the emotional link that, that naturally occurs between the behavior or the performance that, that, that we're associated with and how we feel about it can get lost over time. So mm -hmm. if I do something really well and you give me that positive feedback right away, it's going to amplify my own feeling that it was a job well done. If I, on the other hand, did something that was not, that did not work out well, and you give me the feedback right away, and of course with constructive feedback we have to wait long enough to find a private place to have that conversation. I'm not a big fan of providing constructive feedback in public, mm -hmm. even though sometimes, sometimes people have a tendency to want to quote-unquote make an example of somebody. Mm -hmm. That almost always backfires, mm -hmm. and it's, it's humiliating to the person receiving it in public, and everyone else sitting around the table is wondering when they're going to be next. So, <laughs> so it really is important, right? Yeah. You know, when am I going to be the focus? Uh, and so you know what? it's always more respectful to do it, you know, face-to-face. -face. And, you know, you could even say that swings both ways. That could be from negative criticism and even positive criticism. Uh, some people are very sensitive about having that sort of positive spotlight on them in a, you know, a group meeting yes. or, a, you know, a big function where uh, somebody gets up and starts to, you know, uh, spread accolades about you that it's just like, oh, I didn't, I didn't need that either. Yeah, you are absolutely right, Michael. Uh, and it's, it's something that, that many leaders don't, don't recognize. They, they assume that positive feedback can always be lavished on people in public. And, and while generally speaking, that's true, most people, particularly in, in the U.S. culture, lap it up when, when a boss or a colleague says good things about them in front of others. There are some people who don't like to be made the center of attention. And mm -hmm. so if we're trying to do something nice by acknowledging a person for a job well done and we're making them uncomfortable, that kind of defeats the purpose <laughs> of giving them positive feedback. And, and there are also certain cultures around the world where people are taught to actually deflect positive feedback because they were taught to always – give credit to the team, to the larger group. And so if, if you happen to be working with someone who was taught that and you're giving them positive feedback in public, they're going to say, oh, no, 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 it wasn't, that, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it was, it was the team, it was everyone. Even though it was them, we don't want to make people uncomfortable, either because of, of the way they were raised culturally mm -hmm. or because they simply don't appreciate being made the center of attention, so that's that's a really important point you you raise, and it, and it's lost on a lot of a lot of managers and leaders. Mm -hmm. Hey, you talked about um, the appropriate time to bring about this sort of um, constructive criticism. What do you feel in general is the window to address a point, whether it's positive or negative? Well, positive, I think, should be given immediately, mm -hmm. um, and and so w whether it's positive or constructive. I would say that if we're not making 
some acknowledgement of that behavior within 24 hours, we've probably lost the window of opportunity. Mm-hmm. We've lost the ability to latch on to that emotional link that I was talking about a few minutes ago that we carry, carry with us. Because if we wait too long, so if, I, if I've done something that, that requires you to give me some constructive feedback and you wait a week to talk to me about it, in that week, I'm probably going to rationalize that behavior. So, so at the time, I knew that it didn't work out. And I was probably waiting for someone to come talk to me about it, and no one did for a whole week. And so I probably said, you know what, it must not have been that bad after all. Mm-hmm. Uh, if it was, somebody would have come and, and spoken with me. And or I might have forgotten about it. Mm-hmm. We're all busy, right? It happened. Uh, didn't get the feedback. Okay, I, I forgot about it. If you bring it up a week later, now it's kind of like, what? Uh, what happened? Mm-hmm. So I think I think my rule of thumb is within 24 hours and, and hopefully less than 24 hours because we want to give that feedback at the teachable moment mm-hmm. that's going to be most impactful. Okay, you were talking about uh, some uh, some keys or some steps that you can offer yes. to help people uh, change uh, the way they approach um, uh, right. providing feedback. So uh, I like to think of it as, as a seven-step process. And the first three steps are, are the steps that kind of launch the conversation. And the first three steps, if done correctly, are, are done within a minute or less. And so the first step, obviously, is describe the performance problem. And we need to be able to describe that problem in 30 seconds or less. If we can't describe the problem in 30 seconds or less, who doesn't know what the problem is? We don't, Mm -hmm. right? So we have to be prepared going into a conversation. We have to know precisely, succinctly, what the one thing is that we want to talk to someone about. So a simple example of describing the performance problem might be something like, you know, I want to talk with you about something I've noticed. I've noticed you've been late to four of the last five meetings. That's it. That's the problem statement. Okay? We don't go on and on and on because when we go on and on and on, the other person's eyes tend to glaze over. They then want to get involved and potentially derail the conversation or get defensive. Mm -hmm. So it's just I want to talk with you about the fact that that you've been late to four of the last five meetings. Here's another example. I want to talk with you about something I've noticed. I've noticed in our, in our team meetings, you're the first to become very critical of other people's ideas before asking questions. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's the problem. It's designed to be unambiguous. That is the problem. Now, the second step has to be moved into almost without a breath after the end of step one. So step two, which is the most important step in the process, is explain the impact. Mm -hmm. Most of the time when we get feedback, we don't even talk about impact. We usually describe the problem and then say, and you better fix it. Or we tell them what to do to fix it. I believe that we need two intermediate steps before we get to action or solution. And the second step, explain the impact, is designed to help the person get some ownership around what's happening when they're late or when they go on the attack in a meeting without asking questions first. So let me, let me step back, and I'll do step one and step two together for those two examples. Mm-hmm. So in the first example, I want to talk to you about the fact that you've been late to four of the last five meetings. Mm-hmm. When you're late, so do you see how it's just almost 
without a breath. Mm-hmm. When you're late, it causes people to stop what we're doing to recognize and acknowledge your late arrival, and it really messes with the momentum and the productivity of our meeting. Mm-hmm. So I trust that if you're coming late to my meeting, you're not doing it to mess with my productivity. There's a reason you're late, which we'll get to in the next step, step three. And yet I want you to know that when you're late, even though it's not your intention to mess up the momentum of my meeting, that is exactly what's happening. And I want you to be thinking, oh, well, that's not good. Mm. I don't want to be responsible for that. I mean, I want you in your own head to go there instead of, well, I'm not the only one. Are you talking to to Sue and to Joe about about their lateness, that's kind of where a lot of people go. Yeah, exactly. As opposed, yeah. I want them to accept responsibility. You know, I think another direction they go, and you might be addressing this in the next step, but then they uh, they get defensive and they um, play the... um, I would just say the overworked card, like, well, if I wasn't having to clean up somebody else's mess or if I didn't have eight things, you know, uh, going on at yes. once, I'd be here on time. Or, you know, I think yeah. it, they, they tend to play that I'm the, I'm a victim, you know, to, to this. Right, and, and we're, we're interested in hearing whatever they think is causing the problem, and that's actually step three mm-hmm. of our process. So the first step is describe the performance problem which is in our team meetings, you're the first to go negative, to go critical without asking questions. Step two, explain the impact. When you do that, I see people withdrawing from the conversation mm-hmm. because they're afraid that if they say something, they'll be next mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in terms of kind of your attack. And that's really working against the culture I'm trying to build for our team where, where everyone feels comfortable saying what's on their mind. Mm-hmm. Step three is identify the cause. Not, and this is some, not something we identify. This is something we ask them to identify. So we ask a really good open-ended question, usually a what question or a how question. So in this case, it might be what's preventing you from asking questions to seek understanding before you go on the attack, mm-hmm. before you become critical. And that's designed to get them to step back and think. Okay, so if if we describe the problem in 30 seconds or less and then explain the impact in 30 seconds or less, that's that's less than a minute, and then ask one good open-ended question to turn the conversation over now to the person we're having the conversation with, most people have an attention span of at least a minute where they're not going to want to jump in and and get defensive. Mm -hmm. And now it's up to them to answer the question. So after we ask that one good open-ended question, we have to we have to zip it. We have to not say another word and let I have a saying, let silence do the heavy lifting. Mm-hmm. Let silence do the heavy lifting. Don't break the silence. It's now their time to answer the question. Okay, these first couple steps for the, for on both sides, it feels like patience yes. is critical. That you have to be patient. If I'm the one receiving the feedback, I need to be patient and not say anything and let the person speaking to me say their piece. And on the flip side, if I'm also giving the feedback, I need to have the patience to know when I'm, I need to be done. I need, you know, get to the point and don't, you know, repeat myself or, you know, 
get to my point and then just be patient and wait for the person to answer. Yes, I, I, I would agree on both parts. And at the same time, I don't think we can go into a constructive feedback conversation expecting the person we're talking to to necessarily have patience. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's incumbent on us and on our process, on the framework that we, that we employ in having the conversation, to help the person uh, who's, who's receiving the feedback to be more patient. Mm -hmm. And one way of doing that is not to talk for a long time. It's a minute or less. And it's also important for us to prepare to have these conversations. So we actually have a, a worksheet that we encourage our clients to, to fill out before they have the conversation so that they know precisely what that 30-second or less description of the problem is, so they know precisely what the 30-second or less explanation of the impact is. Because if we're giving the feedback, we have to be in total control of the first three steps. We have to know exactly what conversation we're there to have. We are very clear what the problem is, and we state it. We are very clear about what the impact is, and we explain it. And we are also very sure, before we even sit down with someone, what question we're going to ask them to get them to tell us what they think is causing this problem, this coming to our meetings late. What's causing you, um, or what's preventing you might be a better question. What's preventing you from getting to my meetings on time? Mm -hmm. What's causing you to, to, to become critical before asking questions? Mm -hmm. So our next step then. So after identify the cause, which is the third step, and, and again, we have to not answer the question mm -hmm. for the person. There's, a ten, there's going to be a temptation, particularly if, if someone doesn't, answer the question right away to, to start answering it for them or to give them multiple choice. So is it A, B, or C? Could it be this? Could it be that? It's not our job mm -hmm. to answer this step three question, identify the cause. And sometimes people might say, you know, I don't know, which is very common. You know, we'll say, well, what, what's causing this? And they'll say, I don't know. Right. So one thing that I do immediately if someone ever says, I don't know, is I say, if you did know, what would it be? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and do you know that 90% of the time I then get a substantive answer? Mm -hmm. Be because when people say, I don't know, of course they know. Who else would possibly know what's causing them to be late or what's causing them to become critical? So if I say, if you did know, what would it be? That gives people enough time to think mm -hmm. about their answer because, because all they're doing by saying, I don't know, is buying time. Okay, so 90% so of the time that's going to work. If it doesn't work, then you might have to take a time out. Mm -hmm. So, again, we don't, it's not our job to answer this question. We might have to say, look, you know, let's get back together later today. Let's get back together first thing tomorrow morning. And when we get back together, I need you to have an answer to this question because you're the only one that can answer it. They might also cry. Often when you give feedback, people will cry. Mm -hmm. We're emotional being. So if someone is crying and they can't compose themselves right away, again, we might have to take a time out and say, look, uh, obviously this is the best time to, to talk about this. Let's get back together later today, first thing in the morning. And when we get back together again, I need you to have an answer right. to this question about cause. Then we come to step four, which is develop an action plan. So again, this is, this is where most of the conversation tends to be historically in our conversations. We go from step one to step four. Here's the problem. 
what are you going to do about it, or here's what you need to do about it. I want to make sure that they understand the impact and they've had a chance to identify the cause before we go to action. Mm -hmm. In step four, though, the objective here is to see what they're willing to commit to doing differently to get to our meetings on time, to ask questions first before becoming critical. And again, this is something we want the other person, the person we're having the conversation with, to answer. We don't want to tell them what to do because there will always be more personal accountability for something that I say I will do than for something you tell me to do. Mm -hmm. So we develop the action plan, and that's really the guts of the seven-step process. Step five is simply confirming understanding. Make sure that before we stop the conversation, both parties know what they've agreed to do. I don't want to be surprised a week, a month, six weeks from now when I expected you to do something that you said you would do for you to then say, oh, that's not what I thought I said I was going to do. <laughs> right. Right? Exactly. So we want to be on the same page. Um, if there's a disconnect, I want to know it today during the conversation. And so I call that step five, confirm understanding. Step six is simply document the conversation. And by document the conversation, this is an important uh, point. I don't mean write someone up. Mm -hmm. This, this seven-step process is not designed to be a substitute for, organ, for an organization's, what, what they often refer to as a progressive disciplinary policy, mm -hmm. where you have to give a, a verbal warning and then you give a written warning and then there's this and that and ultimately a performance improvement plan or a PIP. Mm -hmm. Those are going to still be necessary, although our seven-step process is designed to try to eliminate the need to take someone into progressive discipline mm -hmm. because you nip it in the bud. Yeah. You use these steps the minute you see something and try to then get it to change. So when I say document the conversation, I simply mean write a few notes so that if you have to have this conversation a second time because someone didn't follow up on what they said they were going to do, you can, you've got the details. You can say, you know, we talked two weeks ago. It was a Tuesday. Uh, it was 10 o'clock in the morning, and we talked about this problem. I, I shared the impact. And you committed to doing the following, and it didn't happen. What, what did you make more important than, than what you said you were going to do? So I just want to have some notes. And then finally, step seven is follow-up to ensure satisfactory performance. Mm -hmm. So if we're going to go to all of this effort in having the conversation, by golly, uh, we need to follow up. If I said I was going to do something as part of the action plan, I need, to, I need to be accountable for it and do that. And I need to hold you accountable. If, if you said you were going to do something and you didn't. So those are the seven steps of our seven-step constructive feedback process. Mm -hmm. what, do you, what would you suggest the course of action should be when you're dealing with a repeat offender? So using your example mm -hmm. of you know, showing up late for the meeting, you go through these, you know, the first you know, five, six steps, you know, and the person says, oh, you know, you're right. I'm, I'm just, I've got to start setting a, a reminder earlier or I'll set an alarm so I'm sure I'm here on time. And yet they still continue to show up late and they always seem to have a good excuse. But, you know, obviously it's still disruptive to what you're trying to achieve in the meeting. So how do you, right, right. How do you use this to change uh, their actions and their, uh, the way they're doing things? 
Right. So the process itself is designed to try to get someone to see the impact of what they're doing so that they stop doing it and, mm-hmm. and that they honor whatever commitment that, that they make to, to, to do it differently. If they don't, so if in a week or six weeks they continue to come late to your meetings, depending on how, how many meetings you have and, and, and when you will know whether they're doing it differently or not, I would have up to one additional conversation using this process. So I do not suggest that we use this seven-step process more than twice Okay. before we move someone into progressive discipline. Mm-hmm. You know, as I said, this is not designed as a substitute for progressive discipline. There mm-hmm. will be people who will persist in behaviors uh, or in underperformance, whatever the, the problem is, that will require the progressive disciplinary policy because sometimes people need to know the implicit threat that they could lose their job, which, which is often what the progressive discipline, discipline policy is all about, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we keep ratcheting it up, and people know that if they don't make this change, they could lose their job. So we find that about 90% of the time, this process, this seven-step process, nips this in the butt because it's delivered at a teachable moment. Mm-hmm. It's a conversation where people don't get defensive and are more willing to make the change. If they don't make the change and we have one more conversation where we just kind of go through the steps again and they still don't make the change, then I believe whatever progressive discipline policy an organization has in place needs to be initiated. Because, as you know, we wait way too long. We tolerate behaviors that are not productive way too long. We mm-hmm. let people get away with some of these things. And, and when we do that... Who else is watching this, right? Everyone else is, is wondering why we as the leader are not managing this. They mm-hmm. wonder how this person keeps getting away with behaving this way. So, and, and obviously we can't talk to everyone and say, you know, we're disciplining someone. Although over time there needs to be something visible to the rest of the team. Either the, the, the behavior is changing right. because we've successfully used the seven-step process and, and – it's gone away, the bad behavior's gone away, or the person ultimately is dismissed mm-hmm. from employment because they, they don't turn this around. So I'm not a big believer in, in waiting excessively and, mm-hmm. and in giving people a hundred chances, right? We have to be clear about our expectations, and if the expectations are not being met, we use this process immediately to try to clarify what the issue is. Here's the problem. Here's the impact. I need to know what's causing it. Okay. Given that, what are you committed to doing differently? I have to hold them accountable for that. Mm -hmm. And if after using this process twice, then we really need to move to the next step so that we can make it clear that we're, that we're serious because if not, we can't build a world-class organization if we allow these behaviors to persist. Mm -hmm. What do you find, or, or, or in your experience or your research on this topic, what do you find to be the most avoidable mistake that managers make when they engage in these types of seven steps? I'd say two things. One is not having a conversation soon enough, so kind of what we were just talking about, uh, turn, turning your eye to it, uh, hoping and praying it will go away, which it hardly ever does. Mm-hmm. It usually just gets worse and worse because, importantly, the person isn't hearing 
the step two explanation of the impact. Most of the time when people are doing things that, that requires us to give them feedback on, they have no idea the impact they're creating. And so they think what they're doing is fine. So we need to intervene at the teachable moment. The other avoidable issue in, in having these conversations is it's being, being more prepared. We often avoid preparing for these conversations. If we don't know the problem in 30 seconds or less and the impact statement in 30 seconds or less, and we don't know that one identify the cause question, we're more likely to be taken off point mm. by the person we're having a conversation with. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to be prepared. We have to know what our mission is. If you have a, if you have a process like this that, that frames the conversation, and it's not a 20,000-step process. It's a seven-step process. The three first steps are really the main event to give you the confidence of having an effective conversation. And if you've prepared you are more likely to be successful and not have someone get in your way when you're trying to have this, this conversation. And, you know, one thing that, I, that I'd like to share with, with you and your audience is that, you know, sometimes people will get defensive despite mm-hmm. our best efforts to prevent it. Some people will start blaming others. They'll deflect. They, they, they will deny that, that this is an issue for them. And it can be very hard to kind of cut through that. So the one suggestion I have is that if that happens, if, if, if we are not able to get them focused on our process, we can then make that the new problem. Mm-hmm. So if I'm talking to you about how you are in meetings going on the attack and you're saying that's not true, I don't believe that, blah, 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 and I, and I maybe try to get you back by saying, look, the reason we're here today is to talk about the fact that when we are in meetings and the impact of that is mm-hmm. if that doesn't work, then I just say, look, let's talk about something else. I want to talk about something that's happening right now. From time to time, when I come to give you constructive feedback, I, I face this wall of defensiveness where you're denying it, where you're not, not saying that, yes, uh, I, I, I see that. So that's the problem. That's the new problem statement. The new step to impact Mm -hmm. is when you do that, when you deny, when you go into denial, when you start blaming other people, I'm concerned that you're not accepting personal responsibility for the things you're doing. And, and, And I'm concerned that you're not taking these conversations seriously enough when I from time to time have to have them with you. The new step three, identify the cause question. What's causing you to show up? in our conversations mm-hmm. like this. Mm-hmm. So you, you, you completely change the problem because you're not going to make any headway, are you, on getting them to, to think with you about how to stop going on the attack or, or stop coming late if they're just putting up this wall. So you make the wall they're putting up the new problem. Right. And you, you apply the same process to the behavior, the denial behavior that you're seeing. 